0: -hmm. Welcome, everybody, to the A Slut Podcast. Opera Ghost. Now, please sit back, relax, make sure you enjoy yourself, and always remember let's get a slutty. Find the SLA podcast on all social media. At the A Podcast. And please check out the website. A Dot com. Or email the show. The Ace Love Podcast. At gmail.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the A-Slut Podcast. It's a sex love, understanding and trust. I feel like I haven't said that in ages. It's always just been the A-Slut Podcast recently, but there you go. What's happening, my lovely little sluts? We're going to get a little bit more serious today, unfortunately. Well, not unfortunately, because it's something that needs to be brought to the attention a lot more. Uh, I talked with a counsellor who specialises in... Actually, I'll put a trigger warning here before we go through any more of this. Um, big, big trigger warning around sexual assault in this episode. We talk about it uh, a fair bit, and Prag, who was my guest for this episode, uh, is a counselor specializing in that field. It's really, really cool to talk to. If you're in New Zealand, um, there's some great, great things here that can help you out if you've been through this sort of stuff, some really, really cool, really, really good information um, around how you can get that. But, yeah, trigger warning, guys. If uh, that, if talking about sexual assault and rape triggers you, this is not the episode for you. Otherwise, do listen on, and as always, please do enjoy.
2: One, chin up, look the part. Step two, you weren't hurt in the dark. Step three, what you're crying about. Step four, everyone knows you're lying, no doubt. Step five, you were asking for it. Step six, you're just afraid to take the hit Cause we all know what you did last night You were there all along soaking in the spotlight Something changed My mind rearranged I feel estranged Something died Where? Mine seemed to stop, my heart seemed to drop, but I was asking for it right, I was asking, I was asking for it right, oh my dress was on too tight, if I didn't want it I'd put up a fight, oh I would asking. I was asking for it right. Oh, my dress was on too tight. I should have just put up a fight.
1: Okay, so before I introduce our guest today, I'm just going to put another little trigger warning here that we will be talking about sexual assault and things of that nature. So if you are triggered by that might pay to skip this episode. Uh, I don't like saying that because I do love you all listening, but yeah, if you get triggered by that, maybe not the best one for you. But in saying that, I am delighted to welcome our guest, Prag. How are you doing, Prag?
3: Hello, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you, Simon? I'm
1: pretty good. I've just finished work. I've just gotten home. We're, we're slapped onto the chair and we're, and we're strapped in, ready to go. <laughs> So uh, first, before we get involved, I always ask my guests to introduce themselves a little bit, because um, obviously my listeners probably don't know who you are. So uh, tell us a wee bit about yourself.
3: Um, so, OK, so like, like you said, my name is Craig. Um, I'm currently based in Wellington. Mm-hmm. I was born in India, but grew up in New Zealand. So I have a very interesting View towards uh, cultural worldviews, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, which actually comes in quite handy with my role as well. And I I guess, in terms of my job, I am a registered uh, counsellor and I also work with ACC for their sensitive claims unit as well.
1: Okay, so what's a sensitive claims unit?
3: So, a sensitive claims unit is anyone that's been assaulted or abused or raped um, sexually, uh, they can actually apply to ACC to get funding, to get counselling services through ACC.
1: Okay, straight off the bat, I didn't know that. So that's okay. really, really good to know. Well,
3: yeah, it's so important. I try to spread that word around. Um, so if there are anyone, there, are, I mean, ACC does have a few rules around it. The sexual assault, rape, etc., cetera, um, needed to have happened in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. or if it happens overseas on like let's say like a trip or you know one of those like I don't know uni internships or whatever you do you know on the basis that on the oh, what am I trying to say like if you are meant to be coming back to New Zealand mm-hmm. they can still cover that but for, if it happened overseas before you moved to New Zealand or something like that unfortunately that doesn't get covered However, that is something very important for people to know that, you know, if you have been assaulted or raped or anything like that, uh, you can apply for funding through ACC to get you some uh, counselling and therapy work.
1: That's awesome. I'm I'm actually really glad to hear that because, like I said, I didn't know and I kind of pride myself on knowing these sorts of things so I can help people out. But that's that's really, really great.
3: Awesome. Well, there you go.
1: Yeah, there you go indeed. So how did you get into uh the well getting into helping people who've gone through this these sorts of things
3: i guess like my interest in psychology kind of started from a very young age i didn't actually realize there was such a thing as psychology to begin with because coming from the indian background (laughs) it was was very much a you know one or the other kind of a path which was either you become a doctor or you become an engineer um (laughs) I do remember when I was seven, someone asked me, I think it was a family member that asked me, um, so pregnant, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and I said, I don't know what I want to be, but I want to do something where I'm helping others. And then they were like, oh, great, so you're going to be a doctor. And I said, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> So my journey kind of, I guess, took me through to um, Otago Uni to do the health sciences for, to, you know, hopefully get into medicine kind of a thing. Yeah. But I also had a very strict upbringing. And so this was my first year of freedom. So I kind of let loose a little bit and didn't do so well in my first semester papers, like at all. Well, you know, for people hearing out there, I failed all of the papers. Um, oh, <laughs> so wow. I know I did. And I was like, whoa, okay. And then I was looking around at some other papers that I could do and psychology was one of them. I was like, okay, cool, let me do it. And I did it and I actually, you know what, I fell completely in love with it. And um, I realized one of the reasons I didn't actually do well in the other papers is because I genuinely just wasn't interested in the human body as much as I was in the human brain. So there you go. That's kind of how it started with the journey of psychology.
1: I mean, I'm kind of into both of those.
3: Well, yes. (laughs) (laughs) really, but in terms of the study of it... (laughs) The ins and outs. You know, I'm more about like how people think. Oh,
1: the ins and and outs too.
3: Yeah. Oh, well, there you go, Simon. (laughs) You should get into it then.
1: I'm all about the ins and outs. (laughs)
3: Can't be all. Of the the human body. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. So that's pretty much how I got into it, really. And in terms of the topic of the area throughout my 10 years of study, which I do not recommend to anyone, by the way, it was just too hard. I... I've actually grown up in an abusive family, and so I've always wanted to provide a voice for others who felt like they couldn't speak out for themselves. So I wanted to tackle the topics of taboos, you know, like things like domestic violence, things like sexual abuse, things that people just don't, for some reason, talk about. And I'm a firm believer in thinking that we should talk more about it. We should, you know, make these things more aware to everyone so that we can actually do something to stop it, because... You know what? Ideally, there we will head towards the world without any domestic violence or sexual abuse or rape or and things like that. For so, trying to do my little part,
1: and that's why I wanted to bring you on today so that we could spread as much information and, and that sort of thing about these sorts of topics. Because so I've done a little bit in the past, and there's going to be there's going to be a bit of a series on this topic, which sounds quite bad, um, but I've got a plan for the next few episodes around. Uh, this sort of culture and stuff as well so it's Mm. it's going to be it's going to be pretty heavy but i think it's going to be very very informative and it's going to be nice and fun about it
3: i think it's uh we shouldn't avoid the topic just because it's heavy like it's because it's heavy that we should talk more about it yeah you know people going through it feel really alone um they feel like there's not many people out there that understand their position things like that and i think it's important to build a community of um survivors and supporters you know
1: yeah absolutely Especially considering it's it's becoming a bit more, I guess, I don't want to say prevalent, but it's out in the open more. People aren't so worried about how people are going to react to them when they have been uh, assaulted or, or raped or whatever. People are more willing to talk about it now.
3: You'd think that people would be more willing to, and I mean, I guess it depends which era you're kind of comparing it to, because... In terms of my experience, with it, there is still so much taboo around talking about sexual assault and rape, mm-hmm. even just abuse in general, and um, yes, I think the generations that we're coming through, um, like they're doing a really good job in building up that kind of platform where people can speak out, which I think is really amazing, and the people that do are so, you know, courageous and strong. But I do genuinely feel like there is still more work that we need to continue doing to make it seem like that people are okay going to counselling when they need to and don't feel like people are judging them because they are wanting to get therapy you know it should be just as normal as going to the doctors when you're sick
1: that's such a huge point for me I don't think people look after their mental health as much as they look after their physical health and Mm -hmm. this 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 is a huge part of that if they're Has been a traumatic event in your life, then that doesn't go away easily, does it? No. I'm not going to say you need to try and work through it, but I think for a lot of people, it's best to work through it um, with somebody who is an expert in that field, who has that knowledge to be able to help.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing, just a side note, is another thing people get kind of put off by with counseling is, you know, they kind of don't like the idea of a complete stranger hearing, you know, their ins and outs and all their deep, dark secrets. Um, but I guess one way to look at it is, um, you're getting like a non-biased third person point of view and it's not, and actually to be honest, any good counselor shouldn't be giving you advice per se on how to live your life. They should be helping you facilitating through your journey, you know, like That's another big thing because I've had a lot of clients who come to me and um, who had come to me and then um, said, oh, look, uh, I've tried counseling before, it didn't work, um, but I'm wanting to give it a go again just because, you know, I've got stuff to deal with. And usually those are the good, you know, the ones that actually wanted to persevere because they recognized that it was actually the lack of rapport that was the issue more than the actual act of counseling. Do you know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. While there are a lot of like friends of friends who are kind of like, oh, no, I've tried counseling, it doesn't work for me. And it's like, well, I think it's because a counsellor might not have been a good match for you. So it's really important to know that you can actually shop around until you meet someone that you feel very comfortable with. Because obviously in a counselling situation, you will be challenged um, when you're kind of diving in deep of all these trauma and different things going on for you. You will be challenged. That's so important for people to select a counsellor that they feel really comfortable with and that they know that they can trust, you know? And um, I think that's something that, again, needs to be spread out a bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So in your role, there's got to be some parts that are quite nice and some parts, obviously, that aren't so great to deal with. So what are some of those for you in your role?
3: Okay, let's start with the not nice ones and then finish with the nice ones. because I like that. Uh (laughs) So not nice parts. Um, you know, it, it shocks me with the the diverse range of people that are affected by sexual abuse and rape. Sometimes, you know, I have young teenagers coming in or like even, you know, range pretty much everywhere really. I can't really give you any uh, percentages of what age group would be more than the others because I think it's everyone and anyone can be affected, yeah. unfortunately. Um, and it's hard hearing stories about child abuse. Um, it's hard hearing stories about, you know, people that have been betrayed by people that they trusted, you know, um, things like that. So that's probably the hard part of the work is actually hearing so much evil. <laughs> and you're kind of listening to the stories and you're kind of just like, wow, how can people do that? You know, kind of a thing. However, saying that, the good part of the work completely makes up for it. And for me, that is quite genuinely looking at like all my clients, and they are absolute inspirations, you know. I get always get emotional when I talk about it like because I genuinely mean that. Mm-hmm. Any person for me, anyway, in my experience, as as soon as they walk through the door, I know that they're already a fighter, you know what I mean? Like yeah. any person that is willing to face their demons and work through whatever it is, I think it's like amazing. I I think that to me tells me already as to how much hope they already have in their life and for their life. Yeah. And in my sessions normally I I, I like having a bit of a joke and you know um I like having a bit of a laugh and you know there are some serious sessions that we have and even throughout that seriousness we're able to have a good laugh and that you know to me speaks about these the strength of human nature and you know what that's just. That's what keeps me going when I see clients who are just kind of, oh, I was able to do this today and I couldn't, you know, I was able to get out of bed properly and actually have a shower and, you know, the excitement that they feel at like actually achieving these kind of goals for them, which would have, you know, at one point would have been unthinkable for them. See, I
1: think there's a a great example of that. Sorry to, to cut you off, but there's a great example of that in an episode of Sex Education. Mm, mm. Where um, one of the one of the characters gets felt up on the bus and and yes. um, and masturbated over and mm-hmm. ejaculated on, and mm. she wasn't able to go on the bus for such as such a long time, such a long time until she finally told her friends what had happened. Mm. And they were able to all work through it together and they all ended up at the, on the bus at the same time at the end of the episode and she was much calmer with that. Is that. That's the kind of thing you're talking about here, isn't it?
3: Um, yes, absolutely. I, I think it's definitely about the community that you have and the support that you have, um, but also just, rec- you know, individuals recognising their own p- power within themselves, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big thing. And, you know, the episode that you mentioned, uh, it is a really good episode because it...
1: Great episode.
3: Yeah, it, it it explains the process quite well without having to go into the details of it. And, you know, just sexual assault and rape and things like that, they're gonna the change your worldview, you know. Um, yeah they break your trust in humanity sometimes they break your belief in yourself your identity everything kind of gets broken down it's, it's pretty similar to like a mental breakdown and people actually working through that and kind of figuring out who they are in the fire that they have within them like i think that's just so inspirational you know yeah absolutely yeah mm, so that's it, the amazing part of my job
1: yeah so i guess the start of the journey would be the hardest right because they've come in, you've just met, and and you're going through what happened and actually hearing what's happened to this person. But as you're going on, you're seeing these people grow and become almost flower, I guess, towards the end.
3: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely. The thing with, the, like, with my work is I don't actually, it's not a necessity for people to tell me about what happened. Mm-hmm because the way that I, I guess I do my work and it's worked well for me and my clients so far um, is that, you know, I kind of just check in with where they're at at the moment and what they're hoping to get from the counselling. Because I don't like going into it with, um, you know, preconceived ideas of what I think is good for them or, you know, what I think they should work on or anything like that. Sometimes my clients, you know, don't actually even need to talk about what actually happened because if it's something that they, they don't really want to deal with, then that's fine, you know, like um, not, I'm like, you not, know, I've worded that wrong. It's not that something they don't want to deal with. That's something that that's not the highest priority for them is to be able to talk about it. Then they don't have to talk about it. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. But I think it's, it's kind of interesting to see just through the journey of them, just of their self-discovery and self-confidence and everything I've had people who wanted to tell me what happened, even though it was, you know, there wasn't any context to it. They were like, look, today I'd like to tell you what happened purely because they felt really empowered in being able to share that and to be able to, really, you know, talk about it. And yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's awesome.
1: And that's really cool. So
3: whatever it is, you know, I think people need to realize that I think it's helpful for people to realize that counseling is there, you know, for you and for your, um, Growth? for your, whatever that is, you know, mm. um, and it's important to know that, you know, you shouldn't feel pushed into talking about anything or you shouldn't feel uncomfortable. Of course, it's, it's like I said, challenging, but it shouldn't be like you're, you're forced to say something or you, you have to talk about it. You have to talk about that or anything like that. So please, for anyone listening, if you are feeling like that in a session, please just speak up about it because that's not very healthy. And obviously, there's different contexts to each experience and etc. But just in general. I think trust and comfort is so important in that relationship. Mm, absolutely, especially for you know, you know, sensitive topics such as sexual abuse and rape. Yeah,
1: mm. yeah, I I could not agree more with that. That's. Mm. Yeah, super important because, I mean, if you don't feel comfortable with somebody, then you're less likely to be open to what's going to happen throughout those sessions. And I really like the fact that you ask what they're looking to get out of it because that gives you sort of, I guess, a focal point to aim for, for lack of a better term.
3: Absolutely. As
1: opposed to just doing a big general sweep, sort of focusing on one part to get to. And that's obviously going to be the most important thing to that person that you're with, the client that you're with.
3: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, that's uh, very important. Yeah.
1: So that's that's really really cool. We're gonna go into a couple of statistics here in in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're a country of approximately four million people, right? Yeah. Uh, I hate reading these because it makes me really really angry. <laughs> yeah. In two thousand and five, there was an estimated three hundred and seventeen thousand sexual offences committed.
3: Isn't that just disgusting? Like. Mm.
1: It was reduced in, two, in 2013 to 186,000. So that's all right, I mm. guess.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but that is... In, just, let's put it this way. In in that 2013 where it's considerably lower, it's still 5.2 sexual offences per every 100 adults. Mm.
3: It's 5%. That's ridiculous, man. That's, yeah.
1: Like, it's just... Absolutely. And this is probably the one that scares me the most, right? In 2005, 9% of sexual offences were reported to police compared to 7% in 2008.
3: Mm. So, mm-hmm.
1: so there's a lot that's happening that isn't actually getting reported to police.
3: Yeah, and I could probably say a few comments about that as well. Yeah, go for um, it, please. It's it's really difficult for clients to report sometimes, not because of the actual act of doing it itself is like, you know, there's a lot of um, psychological issues that people usually work through to be able to acknowledge, first of all, that they've had an assault done against them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a big journey in itself. But also, unfortunately with the way our law is at the moment, you really need um, evidence. And in sexual abuse cases, it's not always easy to get evidence. And, and, no. That I personally think, and I'm not like being politically or anything like that, I just I just personally think laws and stuff do need to change a little bit around that to make it um, more accessible for people who've had assaults done against them to be able to report it, mm-hmm. and also with the time frame as well. You know, it's not the first thing that someone thinks about after getting raped might not be to immediately go to the doctors and get some evidence. No, you know what I mean? absolutely like,
1: not. There's, there's a lot of trauma that's just happened.
3: Exactly. And, you know, I think it's important to kind of keep in mind as well. And um, this does play with, um, I guess, with victim blaming um, about being like, oh, well, if it was rape, then why didn't you report it, um, you know, immediately? It's like, it's not just as simple as that. It's not like someone stole your piss. You know, Mm. it's a whole lot of like psychological hurt.
1: It's a mental anguish, really, isn't it?
3: Oh, it is, absolutely. And, you know, you have to go across them and jump over so many hurdles to even accept that something like that has happened to you. Because, again, like I said earlier, it really questions your whole worldview, you know. And, yeah, I think it's just important for people to realize that. And I do believe that laws need to change to kind of accommodate for those psychological aspects as well. Absolutely. Again, I don't know how, personally.
1: Yeah, see, that's a difficult part of that, though, isn't it? Mm. Because you don't want to go so far as to okay, you've reported this, now we, you know, it's 100% that's what's happened. Mm. There still needs to be a lot of room for investigation of it after it's been reported. But it does need to be taken a lot more seriously, that's for sure.
3: Yes. And I want to say this as well, is that it also needs to be taken very seriously no matter what gender you are.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely.
3: Because that really needs to be more acceptable for people of any gender to report sexual assault you know and not feel like they're going to be judged for it
1: absolutely um
3: or their identity is going to be ripped apart just because they're you know
1: and with new Zealand culture it is quite difficult for a male to go and report that they've been sexually assaulted
3: Mm -hmm. Mm, absolutely and it you know it it, it breaks my heart really yeah because it does happen yes of course like unfortunately with the statistics it is more gendered
1: yep we're about to go through that actually Oh, okay. I've got some statistics in front of me about this. Okay? Yep. So, in 2014, 15% of adults had experienced one or more incidents of sexual violence at some point Mm. during their lives. Women were more likely to have experienced one or more incidents. Mm. Uh, So, 24% of women compared to 6% of men. Yep. Just think about that, though. A quarter of the women in our country has experienced... An incident of sexual violence. Yep. And six percent of men. And I, I want to put an asterisk next to that six percent because I get the feeling that that's that the even both of these actually.
3: Like, I was I was just about but, to say, it's funny that you mentioned it. I was not going to be it. the people that actually report it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't
1: yeah. say here whether they've been reported. I think it's mm. so. It's it's just a bunch of people who have actually responded. So it's not a mm. all-encompassing part, but it's yeah. still scary scary numbers i think
3: it is, absolutely we just think about this you know this is the people these are the people that actually responded so if you mm. actually included all the people that haven't responded or i think that number's higher I, I think it's way higher than that to be honest yeah um, i think it's quite scarily high um because it's the range as well you know um there's a lot of people out there that think that they haven't been um you know like they've never been sexually assaulted until they realise that they have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
1: See, and and this is where the whole thing around what is sexual assault, right? A lot of Mm -hmm. people, especially dudes, honestly,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: don't (laughs) realise that what they're doing is a sexual uh, offence or an assault. Yeah.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Because the, the, the next step that comes up on this list is that Women are also more likely than men to have experienced distressed sexual touching, 22% to 5%. Now, distressed yep. sexual touching, for me, that could be getting felt up in a bar while you're dancing. Yes. That is still sexual assault.
3: It is, absolutely.
1: The episode of sex education that we were just talking about, masturbating on somebody on their clothes, mm-hmm. they haven't physically touched, but it is still sexually assaulting someone. You could even argue that an unsolicited dick pic is sexually assaulting someone.
3: I would like to say that it is sexual assault to be able to see pics of unwanted nature. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just want to put it out there just because, I mean, I'm assuming the reason dick pics actually happen is because maybe that person or that individual is thinking that, hey, if I was to get a random picture of boobs or whatever, I would really like it. (laughs) Um, that doesn't mean that the other person is going to like seeing a picture of your junk, okay? Just putting it
1: up. <laughs> Absolutely.
3: <laughs> see,
1: I mean, it's not difficult to ask if they want to see it. Yep. And just by that, though, asking can be, its obviously can be a little bit awkward, but it's also consensual, which makes it a lot nicer. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you're on Tinder or something like that, don't have that be your first message to someone. Yep, yep. Hey, want to see my junk? Like, no. Yeah. Yeah,
3: no, exactly. But this is the thing, eh? Like, I think people need to take rejection not as a personal attack, but just, uh, just what it is. And it's like, okay, that person's not interested. Cool. Nothing against you as an individual. Nothing against, you know, like, I don't know, Feeding up your identity of who you are or your macho-ness or whatever it is. Mm. It's just that the person's not interested, you know. And I think that's a big part in that is that, you know, people freak out when yeah. they get
1: rejected. There could be a multitude of reasons for this as well. Yeah, it's not, it, yes. it's not just that they don't like it. It could be the situation that they're in. It could be yeah. that they're completely asexual. It could be... Yeah. You know, they've just broken up with a boyfriend. You
3: know what? It could even just be the fact that maybe they want to be surprised by seeing you junk and real. Like, it could just be that.
1: I mean, that's fair too.
3: No, I'm just saying, well, I don't mean surprise them that way. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, know,
1: I know what you mean.
3: Yes, sorry, but that should have made that clear. Um, but it, it's important to know, I think, that it could be any, many reasons. And yeah. just because you're taking it as a personal attack, you know, doesn't mean that's actually what it is.
1: I think that shows a large amount of immaturity as well. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I can't think of the word that I'm looking for. Not just immaturity. Nah, it's gone. I can't think of it. <laughs> that's all right. Oh, it'll come back it'll come to me back. once we're finished. Yeah. I guarantee. <laughs> um, but, but that's cool. So, yeah, just thinking about that, 22% of women have had mm-hmm. distressed sexual touching. Okay? Mm-hmm. We move on mm-hmm. to the next one. And these next two are the scariest ones for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Attempted forced sexual intercourse. Eleven percent of women compared to two percent of men. Yeah, that's eleven in a hundred women that have yeah. had yeah. somebody attempt to um, attempt to rape them. Basically,
3: yeah. it's just eleven too many men.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and two percent too many on the men's side.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: and that's that's the attempted side. Mm. the steps the stats for actual forced sensu- sexual intercourse exactly the same yeah. so not attempted this is the act has actually happened at this point
3: mm. it's scary <sighs> eh? like when you actually let those numbers sink in
1: yeah it's terrifying
3: and also bearing in mind that these you know these are statistics which aren't we usually have they're like the average number you know what i mean
1: mm.
3: it's um probably is quite higher quite a bit higher than that
1: I, I would think so, too.
3: Mm. It's very sad, very scary. Yeah, but that's also why I think we all need to talk about it more often and make it, you know, more approachable to people to be able to talk about these topics.
1: Yeah, for, for people to be more open to talk about it, mm. in, in the in the knowledge that they know that it may help them in the long run if they're talking about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah.
1: Um, so we'll, we'll move on from that a little bit because mm-hmm. that was terrifying enough. Um, yeah. Now, we won't go too far into detail on this next one, but what does a typical case view sort of look like? Uh, what's, what's the process, I guess?
3: The process, okay. So I guess in terms of the process, it will be slightly different uh, compared to private or ACC-referred mm-hmm. Um you know, clients. Just another point of the ACC uh, referrals. They do need to go through an organisation that is approved to be a supplier. So these yeah. are the terms. Um, so you can go onto the ACC website and check for what organisations there are that are suppliers for counselling, mm-hmm. and it those suppliers usually have a set of providers like the counsellors. Who are able to give you that service. So normally you go through an organization. So the umbrella organization that kind of puts you through to a counsellor. So I guess in terms of the actual procedure with ACC, as soon as you start seeing a counsellor, the counsellor applies for applies to ACC to what they call an early planning procedure. Uh, You should get allocated around six hours of face-to-face time to kind of get to know your counsellor, you know, just um, work through the report and things like that. And after that, you can have a couple of options. So you can either go the long way or the short way. So they're called short-term or Uh, long-term. Short-term is you get eight set hours with no extension or anything like that. And um, that's usually for people that have maybe like a more goal-oriented kind of uh, reason for counselling. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be things like, look, I want to work on, um, you know, how to recognise healthy relationships, you know, so that could be cool. the, all that they want to deal with, you know, and so that could be eight sessions. Obviously, sometimes, depending on the person, it could be longer, but anyway, that's the short term. Uh, the long-term option is, as the name suggests, for people that are wanting more long-term support, and that could be for, um, so to to go through that, you do need to go through a supported assessment, Now, a lot of people are really, get really anxious about the supported assessment. So I just want to put it out there to people. There is no sexual assault that will be considered to be too small. Mm -hmm. Like, I I just need people to know that because that is something that I have so many clients who are going to be like, oh, is this, what if they think it's not big enough or, you know, like enough of an assault and, and I kind of. You know, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit, really, that people do feel this way. But so far, um, the support that ACC has provided for clients has been really amazing from my point of view. And um, I think it, there will be support for people that, you know, who have gone through assault or rape or whatever it might be, because it is more about how that assault has affected you and your life. Yeah. It doesn't like. I don't, know, I don't want to say it doesn't matter what happened because it does, but it's also, it's more about the impact on your life right now. And if it is impacting your life now, right now, like you're entitled to get the support. And hopefully you'll get a really awesome counsellor that will work with you and in a way, you know, write other reports supporting you. Mm. Can't talk about right? Uh, um, so that's kind of the ACC side of it. So with the long term one after this, this assessment, there's you know there's a process of reporting and you know collecting notes, blah blah etc. In the meantime, you'll still be seeing your counsellor. It's just the background paperwork will be happening. And long-term approval can be up to 48 hours uh, per year. And as you work through with the counsellor, obviously there'll be um, updates and reports and things that you'll have to work through with the counsellor for ACC because obviously it is a government-funded kind of service. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's all about working with the counsellor. I would like to say that, you know, no one should feel alone during this process. And um, that's why I'm saying hopefully your counsellor will be there to explain this process to you and, you know, support you through that. Right. Hmm.
1: Ah, okay. So, it, I think a lot of people think that it's a—it's always going to be a giant process, and that's why they're quite, I guess, torn in two minds whether to actually go through and, and try and and try and go through therapy. But there are other ways to go about it.
3: Absolutely. The first thing that you do, I mean, for the ACC uh, process. It's literally you obviously meet meet with the organisation, meet with the counsellor. There may be a waitlist because there are you know, there is a need for more counsellors and therapists, etc. for the sexual violence field. But, like, once you meet with the counsellor, the first report that you do that seems through to ACC pretty much telling ACC that you're working with the counsellor, it probably only takes, like, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes depending on how much information you want to put in, you know. And then it's just getting to know the counsellor. That's pretty much what it is. And like I said earlier, you know, that's a time where you can actually see if you get along with the person. That if, you, if that's the person that you actually like talking to and, you know, you feel comfortable and in that space, et etc. et cetera. So it's not actually too difficult for the client to be able to apply for it, which is really good. Because I think they've done a really good job in actually making it accessible for people. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Right. Really, really interesting, this. I'm actually just enveloped in all of this and I'm trying to wrap my head around a lot of it as well. Yeah. Basically, it's try and get help. And it's not as big of a thing as you think it is, is the TLDR version of that, isn't it? Um, So the next point I wanted to to come across to is I'm very much on the kinky side of things. All of the people who listen to this know this by now. If they've listened to more than one episode, I think. (laughs) I've done a little bit of research into this but i'm going to go into it in depth a lot more next episode but there's been a couple of parallels drawn with bdsm and therapy as well mm. or mm-hmm. seeing a counsellor um mm. sometimes it can it, and a lot of this depends on the counsellor involved mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely because um hard jinx uh because a counsellor who's not open to to this idea, we'll shut it down, and it'll just be a negative experience for everybody involved. Mm. But there is a number of articles that suggest that BDSM can actually help for those who have survived a sexual assault. What are your thoughts on this?
3: I think it can help for people um, because the idea of BDSM is pretty much the foundation is consent. Mm -hmm. And to be able to practice, you know, consensual kind of an act I genuinely do think can be really beneficial and therapeutic. Obviously, it doesn't mean if you're not interested you have to do it. <laughs> That's not what mm-hmm. it means. Um, but if you are, you know, in a trusting kind of relationship with someone, and um, I don't just mean like a full-on relationship or anything, just that kind of connection with someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it can be helpful for people that want to explore it that way
1: yeah and, and a few of the key points that come up through this is taking back power i guess especially for those who might have a a fetish around consensual non consent because mm-hmm. they're, they're in charge of that action and i think the key point that you that you put into this is it needs to be it needs to be done correctly if you going if you're going to go down this path it can't be some half-assed in in marks dom or daddy
3: exactly
1: that that sits there and just thinks that he makes all the rules and that everything is done to his standards and things like that yeah that's yep. that's more likely to go the other way isn't it
3: absolutely i think it could cause more trauma if it's not done right hmm. um, it's actually quite interesting because i've actually had clients who prefer bdsm interaction more than You know, sex or whatever it is that's not connected to a scene play or anything like that.
1: And this this is a huge thing just on itself. Sorry, Mm -hmm. BDSM play does not always include sex. I need to put that in there because I think that's a big um, misconception. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I, I get two completely different things from each one
3: yeah and this is the thing like i think the whole idea around bdsm i don't think is mainstream knowledge Mm -hmm. and i do believe it is one of those things that needs to be provided as being more mainstream knowledge because it will provide another resource to people, you know, and when going into something like, um, you know, kind of dominant sub kind of a play, I think people need to know their research and they need to kind of explore that area before getting into it, especially when they have triggers, you know, for different things that could be linked to some of the acts that you might do. And you're absolutely right in what you said earlier about, you know, if you just go on to like a dating app and someone just says, oh, hey, I'm a dom and, you know, come over and I'll, you know, um, dominate you. It might not always work out in that way because obviously the underlying foundations need to be that kind of trust and the, you know, the caringness and everything that you have in a BDSM, you know, a a good, healthy BDSM version um, that you might not get with a random who claims that they can do what you want them to do.
1: I also want to state in there that it's not just don't use kink or BDSM as. Therapy. Do no. it alongside your therapy, so that you can yes. relay it with with your counselor, with your therapist, mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that everybody's on that same page and everybody's comfortable with with how it's going. Yep. And what's and what's happening? Because if you go off and try and do it just on your own, there's a whole manner of different things that can happen.
3: Mm-hmm. Please use the resources and the support that you know that is there. It, it is there. Please do use
1: it. Yeah. Mm. A- absolutely. And, w- and we've been talking about. Uh, for a while about me coming up to Wellington and and doing a bit of a... Workshop? Yeah, workshop. Workshop's probably the best way to do it, to talk about how these things are intrinsically linked and how it can be a positive thing. I've just pulled up a a Vice article. I I think Vice is fantastic. They have so many articles that just sort of sit there and go, actually, this is about right. Mm -hmm. Um... And and I'm quoting it directly here. It says, When approached with care, respect, and in tandem with more traditional methods like talk therapy, Lisa says her journey into kink has been transformative. Quote, BDSM has been nothing but a positive addition to my life and my healing. I've experienced many sexual traumas in my life, and before I got involved with the kink scene, I had no concept of healthy boundaries, sexual empowerment, or even my own worthiness for pleasure and consent. Mm. leaning into physical pain on her own terms and under her own control. She's come out on the other side feeling strong, sexual, and seen. Now, the two key points in there, I think, is the own terms and under her own control. Yes. And that's why it's important to have the, the right partner if you're going to engage in this sort of thing.
3: Mm-hmm. No, yeah. I completely agree with you. And that's the thing I like usually not usually, more often than not, the sexual assault or rape, psychologically what that does is it takes your power away or mm. it feels like, you know, they've taken your power away from you because in that act you feel, you know, very powerless. And to be able to kind of reclaim that is a very empowering process. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And it, it's, it's awesome hearing the stories that have been using this in a good way because, let's face it, kink and BDSM get a lot of negative attention, a lot of negative press.
3: Mm, yes, but that's yeah, unfair.
1: Yeah. Absolutely unfair. But again, that you've got to take every single safety procedure that you can, yes, if, if you're going to go through this, because it can. Yeah. There are triggers that happen. Yep. Yeah. In in any scene, and a lot of people don't know what their triggers are because they're, you know, it's so deep seated inside of them, or um, they've forgotten about it, and then. A certain thing that somebody does can bring it straight to the forefront again. So you've got to always be very, very careful around those sorts of things. And when they happen, you've got to have the right person there as soon as you call your safe word. They stop and Mm. it goes into that safe space straight away.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. I can't, I can't enforce that enough upon anybody. Like that's just yeah, such 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 a massive thing. It's
3: just foundational, isn't it? Like it's yeah. It's foundational to have that trust and that, yeah. you know, feel for each other. And yeah, absolutely.
1: But even this, and this is why I find communities good when it comes to kink, because you can, mm-hmm. you can get references, for lack of a better term, from other people within mm-hmm. that group about how this person is, how they play, what's their, you know, talk to ex-partners of the people you're going to play with and see what they're like, yeah. see what their positives and negative sides are.
3: I was thinking it would be a good idea to to have reviews like that on Tinder or like other dating apps, you know, reviews from your previous exes as to mm. what their experience dating you was like. I, I believe be
1: I believe that that can go into the bullying side of things a little too easily for yeah. me, though. True.
3: True. Yeah. But you'd you know you'd hope that there would be people out there that would be truthful about the experiences and be able but, to yeah. talk about
1: that. My, my my concern with that is like you do see a lot of. Couples squabbling on Facebook and things like, or ex-couples squabbling on Facebook and stuff like that. So you can imagine, you can imagine one partner, you know, getting all of their friends to go onto their ex's profile and leave all of these bad reviews and stuff. So,
3: That's very true.
1: That's that would be my concern with that one.
3: Yeah, that's where the maturity should come in, shouldn't
1: it? Well, you would think so, but yeah, <laughs> a lot of people aren't mature. So we'll move on to the final point, and this is one that I ask pretty much every guest that comes on at some point as we go through it all. So for anybody who has been assaulted, whether it be, and I guess it would be different, so it's kind of a two-part answer, or two-part question, Uh, what advice could you give to somebody who has been assaulted, whether it be recently or even a fair amount of time ago? Is there a difference? Or, yeah.
3: No difference. No difference. No difference. I think if there's something... That you've just realized, or you know, if it's done something that's just happened and you realize the effects are still going to be there, it does the time, unless once you've been, you know, actively working on it and um, working through the effects, etc., it's not going to change the way you respond, you know, to it. Like, it's okay to feel upset, even if it happened 10 years ago or 20 years ago, whatever it is. You know, there's nothing there that's going to be there and be like, oh, well, you know, that happened like so long ago. Why are you still upset about it? Because you know what? I actually have clients who have been in denial for a long time, subconsciously or not consciously in denial. But and then suddenly it just hits them like a train and they're just kind of like, oh, gosh, I've been raped, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that you know what? your feelings are valid. Whatever you're feeling, please don't compare it to other people because they're not you. They, they're not, you know, your journey is very unique. And I think people need to know that. And one big, big, big thing that I want to say, and this is something that I feel like we all need to, sh- you know, shout out from the rooftops, is that it's not your fault. Absolutely. And that's the massive.
1: So with, with this, then, if say for example, you know, we talked about the ACC stuff at, at the at the top mm-hmm. of this. Uh, is it possible, somebody, when it's being? 20 odd years to still go and and they've only just realized or they've just come out of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yes. no, yeah, it's been 20 years since something, uh, mm-hmm. this assault has occurred. Are they still able to go and claim?
3: Yes. From my knowledge, yes, ticket. It's uh, past trauma, so um, not past radar, if you want to term, I think it's um. Oh, I forget the term. I think it's something like periodic trauma or something like that. Um, but yes, it's uh, if anyone and everyone that's been abused or assaulted can apply for the support.
1: And arguably should apply.
3: Yes, I completely agree. Yes. So, it's a resource that's there, you know, use it. <laughs> like It's, yeah, it's there for a reason. And I think it's great that it is there. So please use it.
1: And that goes for anyone and everyone who even thinks that it could have happened. They're not sure if yeah. what they've experienced is a sexual assault. Like I said, the, the indecent touching uh, in a, in a yeah. bar or something like that could still leave a lasting yeah. effect.
3: Absolutely. Like what I normally say is that, you know, we all have really strong gut feelings mm-hmm. and if your gut's telling you that something's not right, it's probably because it is. Yeah you know, and it's just, it's scary uh, listening to our gut because we don't want to, you know, admit to it sometimes, but if there is something that feels like it's clashing within you, that's probably because it is. Yeah. And even if, you know, your long-term support or short-term support doesn't get approved because of one reason or another, it doesn't fit the criteria, Mm -hmm. um, I from my, again, from my knowledge and experience, I think you'll still be allowed those first six sessions to be able to discuss this.
1: And and figure out if what could happen going forward right
3: Thanks. yeah that's that's my yeah Mm. experience of it yeah i think the only issue would be if you don't if like i said if it happens overseas Mm -hmm. um or if if you don't have actually you know i'm not i'm not going to say that because i think if there's any any question for you i think you should just reach out and see what you can what kind of support you can get
1: yeah i think that's a great call so even if you've been so you're a New Zealand citizen. You live here. You've been away on holiday. Something happens over there. You come mm-hmm. back. You're still
3: yeah. You can buy yeah.
1: And that that's really cool as well. Yeah. Just before we leave, I just remembered one one thing to, to touch on is that mm-hmm. especially with that with that just that uh, incessant touching, I guess for lack of a better term, the you know the hand on the butt in a club or you know things like that. Mm. And I I'm speaking to. The people that do these sorts of actions at this point is that you're affecting how the person you're doing it to is going to act in future mm. they're gonna you're forcing them to change their behavior so this doesn't happen to them in the future again yeah like we talked about with with sex education the bus ride it can be yeah you know they're not gonna go on the dance floor next time they go out to the club because they're sick of getting touched up they're sick of getting felt mm-hmm. up you know, and then they're not going to enjoy themselves, which can then lean down to a various number of mental health issues from that point yeah. as well. Even just yeah. the tiniest action like that can have a massive, massive effect.
3: Absolutely. I think it's just important for everyone everyone, to know that you're not entitled to somebody else's body. No. No matter what the surroundings are, the situation is, whatever. You know, sure, even if you're flirting and they say, no, I'm, I'm not okay with that stop it. Like that's, that's just it. It's not
1: difficult. No means no. It
3: isn't. It's not hard to figure out the body language of someone that's not interested, you know? Um,
1: See, now that, that's an interesting one for me because there are some people who have social development issues that don't notice that. mm -hmm. But so sometimes you do need to physically say, please stop. That's true. You know, and it's up to the other person to react in, well, what should be the normal way, and just go, okay, sorry, yeah. my bad, I didn't mean that.
3: I think whenever possible, people should just ask. Like I think.
1: Yeah, that's... it's it's not difficult to ask.
3: And anyone, you know, should feel worried about. And I ask a lot. Well, that's good, and that's what it should be like, you know, and like anyone in the receiving end of being asked, like, please don't be embarrassed to say whatever it is. Like, don't feel like you have to say yes or whatever it is. Like yes. no pressure, you know, um, it doesn't. And if there's people around you that are putting pressure on you, maybe it's time to think about a new new friend circle you know like it might not be the healthiest healthiest group that if they are actually pushing you into doing something that you're not comfortable doing
1: yes i could not agree with that more
3: yeah because i mean absolutely there is a difference between a challenge and being pushed into something you know and i think people need to recognize that and at, at not at any point should people look at that as being like oh stop being so like you know such a party pooper or whatever it is um, because that's not what it is. You're completely entitled to your body, and you make the decisions for it. You know, and that. So, yeah.
1: yeah, I didn't mean to laugh in there, but I was reminded of an episode of Dragon Ball Z abridged, and there's a little song that it goes, "Every party needs a poo, that's why they invited you."
3: <laughs> I don't know how you've been uh, triggered with that. But that's cool. <laughs>
1: so you said you said something about being a party pooper.
3: Ah, oh, so like, okay. Everybody
1: right needs a boo-boo that's why they invited you. There <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh. <Okay.
1: laughs> oh, okay then.
3: <laughs> I don't actually know what, what that is, but
1: uh, but it's um, yeah. On that though, like with that with that pressure thing, it's one of those parts where you know you don't want to feel like the barty pooper by saying you know, but. Mm, In the mm. interest of your own safety, it's actually the other person being the party pooper if they take it mm-hmm. the wrong way.
3: Absolutely, yep.
1: They're the ones that have ruined everything by not just being, you know, a decent human being.
3: Yep, definitely, and and that's so important to know for for all genders. You know, sometimes there are. I'm just using the you know the stereotypical um, examples here. Sometimes if a if a girl gets rejected, she might turn into like. Start acting like a complete bitch. You know what? Don't do it. No. Again, it's not. Classy is
0: sexy. If
3: you're a female, doesn't mean you're entitled to every guy out there to like you or, you know, have to be with you or anything like that. They have their entitlement over their own body in the same way that you do over yours. You know, just I think respect, communication, they all need to be just foundations in who we are as human, you know, as a humanity, really.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the perfect way to end this off, actually. <laughs> That's really, really cool way to end this off. Is there anything else you wanted to you wanted to add in at the end of this?
3: Um, not really. Thank you so much for opening up a platform for people to be able to talk about this. I think it's so important. And for people out there, you know, like if you if you're wanting support, just reach out, mm. ask yeah. around, you know, get get the support that you need because uh, it is there. And um, I you know wish you guys all the best, really, and all the best for your um podcast as well, Simon. I think you're doing a fantastic job.
1: Thank you so much. It takes two to tango. So thank you very, very much for coming on and giving us all this great information um, where people can go and hopefully allowing people to come out of their shell a bit more and talk about this sort of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the aim from this. So, yeah, again, thank you so, so much.
3: You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs>
4: touch of your lips dear but much more for the touch of your whips dear you can raise welts like nobody else as we dance to the masochism tango say our love is a flame not an amber say it's me that you want to dismember uh, blacken my eye, set fire to my tie As we dance to the masochism tango At your command, before you here I stand
3: My heart is in my hand
4: yeah. <laughs> It's here that I must be My heart entreats, just hear those savage beats And go put on your cleats and come and trample me His heart is hard as stone or mahogany That's why I'm in such exquisite agony
3: My soul is on
4: fire It's aflame with desire Which is why I perspire when we tango You caught my nose In your left castanet Love I can feel the pain yet Love Every time I hear drums And I envy the rose That you held in your 14th Love, with the thorns underneath Love, sticking into your gums Your eyes cast a spell that bewitches The last time I needed 20 Stitches to sew up the gash you made with your lash. As we dance to the masochism tango, bash in my brain and make me scream with pain. Then kick me once again and say we'll never part. I know too well I'm underneath your spell. So darling, if you smell something burning, it's my heart. <laughs> do you take your cigarette from its holder and. Burn your initials in my shoulder, fracture my spine, and swear that you're mine as we dance to the massacre.